This is Pat Perdue's Customer Experience Podcast. Every episode, we take a closer look at companies who are getting customer experience right from over the phone, social, apps, or in person. There are some companies that are just really good at this. What are they doing differently to make great customer experience happen? Listen in and find out. Pat Perdue's Customer Experience Podcast starts now. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm Pat Perdue, and I'm so glad you're here today. In case you didn't know, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic (laughs) that's been sweeping the entire planet pretty much for all of 2020. As I record this, it's July, apparently. A lot has changed in the past five months. Cast your mind to a year ago. What were you doing? Maybe you were going to a movie in an actual movie theater. Maybe you were going to see cats. And hey, I'm not going to judge you on your choices. (laughs) Could you imagine doing that today? I find it difficult even to watch movies or TV shows that show people in crowded theaters. All I can think of is, ooh, that's not safe. And what about shopping? In most cities around the world, going to the mall was something we did, like, you know, for fun. And stores wanted us to come in and linger and browse around, spending as much time as possible there. Back then, retail was under fire for sure, but some stores were fighting back by making shopping an experience. Like, you know, some were opening coffee bars or conducting in-store shopping events, essentially redefining the in-store shopping experience. Since COVID-19, those gains are gone. And our very definition of what we want from a store has completely shifted. So what would it take for you to go to a brick and mortar, say, clothing store? And would you browse through the clothes that were on the hangers? Would you try stuff on? Stuff that other people might have tried on. And what would that be like? in a small change room that someone else had just left, being all breathy and everything. While a year ago, you might not have given it a thought, today, it might set off all kinds of alarm bells for you. What we look for in a retail experience is fully and perhaps forever transformed. These are historic times. So what's the plan? How do retail apparel brands survive when people are just not ready to come into their stores? How do brands keep us engaged or maybe even grow their brand presence when pretty much the only channel we have is online. This is no easy calculus. Iconic brands like J. Crew, True Religion, Neiman Marcus, Brooks Brothers, Muji, Guess, C. Folly from Australia, Kath Kidston from Britain, and so many others are experiencing seismic shifts to their brick-and-mortar outlook. We're seeing everything from the need for radical downsizing and restructuring to bankruptcy protection. At the very least, it requires that we think differently. And this brings us to our guest and today's conversation, which I'm so excited to share with you. Anne-Marie Clendenin is a top leader of some of North America's most iconic brands, with a solid track record for driving massive retail growth globally through traditional expansion, as well as omni-channel, which basically means connecting meaningfully with your customers on every channel possible, brick and mortar, online, social, heck, graffiti on the side of a wall, if that's how your customers want to communicate. Anne-Marie's career spans 30 years, and if anyone is poised to think retail outside of the box, pun intended, it's our guest today. Here's a little bit more about Anne-Marie. Her leadership extends to The Limited, Ann Taylor, Aeropostal, and most recently, holding executive roles as Global Head of Retail and E-Commerce Operations for Kate Spade and President U.S. Retail for Aritzia. At Kate Spade, Anne-Marie drove physical store expansion, tripling the business from 68 stores to 225 stores in North America, and from 445 to 680 stores internationally, while scaling volume from $300 million to $2.1 billion. 
with responsibility for three brands and six channels in Kate Spade, Jack Spade, and Kate Spade Saturday, she architected and drove a 13-pronged omni-channel solution with more than $350 million in sales. And Marie is also an expert on clienteling, which is kind of like how it sounds. Rather than subjecting your customer to individual transactions, clienteling is about creating retail clients, which means a much more profound relationship than the individual and often forgettable transaction at the cash register. And the result is lifelong brand relationships and phenomenal individualized customer experiences. You can just imagine that this is a disruptive force in traditional retail. So who better to re-envision and disrupt retail today than someone who's been doing it for 30 years? I'm thrilled to bring you my conversation with one of retail's top leadership voices as we open up the playbook and talk about what's next for traditional retail. We begin our conversation talking about social media, brand social responsibility, and brand reputation. Here is Anne-Marie Clendon. Most importantly, it's building brand affinity. And I think that there, you know, there are some big pieces to that, the connectivity, um, the purpose. What is your purpose of a brick and mortar store? What's the experience look like? What is the service model that you're, you know, you're putting forth towards that client? And, and how do you really slow down your experience right now to become increasingly meaningful if you have a brick and mortar footprint? And I think what's interesting right now is that you know, conversion rates, those footfalls that brands are experiencing are being, the conversion is being driven higher than ever before. Because trust me, if you're waiting in line to get into a brand like Lululemon, there's a purpose uh, for your visit. And so what you do with each of those footsteps, you know, to kind of pay that relationship forward matters more than ever. So I really think that building that brand affinity right now, um, customers are voting with dollars. Uh, they've got an incredible amount of time on their hands. They've got time to do research. They've got time to discover new products and brands and time to support the brands they've already voted for. So I think it's incredibly meaningful that a brand has a position and is really not just sending a message, but is actioning those messages because that is what you know, particularly Gen Z and the millennials are looking for. They want action over words. Really interesting. And the notion of brand value and brand reputation sounds yes. like that's more important now more than ever. Oh, absolutely. You know, we've seen such a, you know, an interesting um, kind of slowdown, but also a ramp up over social media about what brands are choosing to say in these moments? What, what are they saying about Black Lives Matter? What are they saying about LGBTQ rights? What are they saying about you know, supporting individuals and, and religious freedoms? And then they're also getting called out on it when they don't back out their message with action. So if you say Black Lives Matter, but you have no black models walking down the runway, then it's disingenuous and you're gonna get called out on it. So I think that as brands really create that platform and stay true to you know all the house codes they've spent so much time building they must do it in an appropriate way and build affinity to carry that relationship forward or they're losing the clients that are over 40. you know there wow. are clients that have been shopping certain brands for 40 years already but they're turning their back on brands when they don't get it right and this is a time where you know, silence matters, actions matter, and you can't just post something and not do anything. So I think that, you know, having a, a socially responsible commerce platform, doing good, doing right, um, is serving above profits right now. So I, I think that that's such a big message that's out there. 
And do you think that our willingness to abandon a brand that we might have been, you referenced, you know, brand loyalty that might have lived for like 40 years. Do you think our willingness to abandon a brand based on they're not getting it right is higher now than it was perhaps even a year ago or two years ago? Absolutely. I think there's this great um, kind of math example that that showcases a negative brand experience and the the ability for an individual to give voice to that. The, the more they give voice, they'll tell nine, ten people about a negative experience because that's right. how how just vitriolic and and how you know it, it's just so negative and can be so damning in this environment. And you know you've got to get it right. And so I think that they are abandoning. They're shopping smaller. They're supporting local. And they're not driving as far, right? So you're shopping local stores that you may not have given a chance, but if they get the experience right, you've got a customer for life. You've got a client for life. Right. Um, They do. They really do have to get it right. um, And they have to be attentive in in an appropriate manner. And they have to talk about product in a knowledgeable way um, because those footsteps really count right now. But to your point, Pat, I think that people are willing to walk away. They're willing to walk away from brands. We're seeing a lot of you know, negative press about brands that you might have said, wow, I think that top is beautiful. But now the label inside that top or that dress or those pants or those shoes mean a bit more and their actions become almost abhorrent to wanting to showcase the brand or the label if they're not doing good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that particularly for, you know, large groups of, you know, millennial Gen Z so important that they can be really proud of the choices they're making and voting with their dollars. And they tell people about, oh, my gosh, do you see this top? It's from so and so. And did you see what they said on Instagram the other day? And, oh, they're supporting this or they gave this money to Black Lives Matter or um, they really stand for X. And I think that those those are important stories to tell and they're getting more traction. Sure. And what does that do to the brand that might have a lot of physical locations? They might have a massive physical footprint and they're they're navigating these new waters of managing their reputation. But at the same time, are they still trying to drive shoppers and clients into their stores or is that almost becoming an afterthought? I think it's becoming a bit of an afterthought. I think that brands are kind of going two ways right now when they are choosing to to send a message or post something on social media, what is that message? What is that call to action? And I love reading all the comments underneath it because- Oh, yes. <laughs> the best yes. part. It's the yeah, best part. Yeah, right? That's, that's a half the interesting story as, you know, really, what is it they just posted? And then you, you see all these comments below and some of them are just fueled with a tremendous amount of affinity for what the brand is doing or really a a place of negativity and what the brand isn't doing. And so brands have the option. Sure, you could go onto Facebook and you could start deleting those comments, but guess what? That's going to get called right out because the person who said it is watching for the response to what was said. And so you you really do have to balance um, and respond appropriately you know, something such as like, please reach out to us, or my name is so-and-so, please, here's how to contact me so we can resolve this. That is much more, that's viewed as, as much more positive experience than no response. Oh, um, absolutely. Delete a, a delete of the comment and you go, oh my gosh, did you see what so-and-so said? Or, And it's not that you know the person, you certainly don't, but you either do or don't 
echo that same sentiment in some way, shape, or form as like, oh, that happened to me too, or oh, yeah, they did that too, or oh, wow, they're amazing. I had that same experience. So commentary is incredibly is incredibly important right now. And I'm finding that commentary is so informed now. It's yes. it's it's less about less about well, I think you guys suck. Yeah. It's more about. <laughs> It's more about this is why what you've said doesn't make sense based on what I know about your actions. Absolutely. There's a tremendous, again, I think time has, has given everyone the opportunity to do a lot of fact checking. So you better get it right if you're going to put it out there. And you better expect that someone will fact check you back, right? So I think what we've seen is that you know some of these brands are sending a message of shop and what do they do with this spring, summer apparel? Do they skip it? Do they hold it? Um, do they put it out there? Do they you know, dilute the brand with a message of 80% off? Customers are not responding right now to that message shop. They're just not. Because um, they've, no, they've got no place to wear the great clothes to. <laughs> yeah, where are you going? Like, well, where are you going in, the, in a $1,200 dress right now? Right, um, that, that, I, that I'm in denial that fits me. Because <laughs> I because I just put on 15 pounds and truthfully I did because yep, I've yep. learned to make pizza apparently in the last eight weeks so <laughs> so you know so I don't really want to spend a lot of money on something that I don't want to fit into six months from now. Sure, and you th you know there are definitely categories that have seen um, strong response, right? You've seen home sales go up, meaning like the categories within your home, whether that's bedding and bath or things that are um, comforting to you, blankets and couches and chairs, right. desks. One of the, you know, the, the most insane growth categories right now are work from home support tools. And, and along with active wear and socks and underwear, and those are things you're always going to need. So people don't mind still investing in those. But you've also seen a tremendous uh, path forward for resale. So I think that there are some brands that are really getting it right because what they do is they honor the heritage brand and they extend the life cycle of luxury items. And they are really providing a service, a service for the brand, but they're approachable and they're relevant and they provide a financial foothold into a brand that would be economically unviable for someone else. So if you were thinking of making a, you know, a, a larger purchase, you probably don't want to, but if you thought that you had an opportunity to get it, you know, at a, at a much more, you know, easy to swallow price point for you, it provides runway into these brands. So I do think, you know, this resale category um, has huge, huge disruptive impact in a really positive way. You know, we've seen some brands right now drop comp by more than 90%. And I do think that, it, which is an insane number. And I think that the timing would certainly, you know, give voice or coincide with a COVID excuse, right, or a pandemic excuse. Um, most certainly, that's going to be the claim. But before that, the excuse was the decline of luxury spend in Asia. But at the heart of it all is the complacency and the growing, changing consumer perception is the ramp up to all of this. So if you did not invest in an e-commerce platform that sent a very strong you know, message of brand affinity or storytelling or you know, some reason to spend more time with that brand and you did not invest in clienteling or a mobile first platform, you're in, you're in trouble. You were in trouble long before the pandemic happened. So I think that some of the brands have gotten it really right. And I think that, you know, the complacency in their space 
um, has really, you know, set them apart, others really apart, because a 90 drop in comp it is a bit unexplainable, even in this environment. And it speaks to a little bit of what I've heard in other environments where COVID-19 and our collective experience around COVID-19 is hastening the future of a lot of categories and a lot of sectors, work from home you referenced, yes. where that was a trend, but now the trend has been massively accelerated. And perhaps shop from home or shop from my phone, a trend also massively accelerated. And sadly, the downward trend for brick and mortar retail also accelerated. So yes. how might a store, how might a brand manage this sudden you know, sudden slope that they find themselves on? You know, I really think that the answer is clienteling. And I think that was a fancy word that was that some people thought were only relevant to luxury stakeholders and retail. But I don't think that's true. I think that every brand has the opportunity to serve their customer. And so clienteling can be applied to really anyone. And whether you're selling two for 20 t-shirts or you're selling a $1,200 dress, you have a customer, you have a space or a niche in the market. And so, you know, I think that there are some other platforms that are serving retailers in, in many of those spaces really well. I think Hero is one that comes to mind where they rebroker calls that go into a call center back to a store line employee. But guess what? If you didn't invest in a mobile clienteling platform for your employee to take that phone home, they, they, there's no one to answer that call. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, those calls are just going into a customer service repository where either you have to rely on chat or someone's answering the phone that really doesn't know much about the brand because they're working in a call center. Um, they don't have personal brand affinity or maybe they lack the exceptional product knowledge that a brand ambassador would do justice and so I think that, you know, Hero has done a really great job of putting back um, into the hands of the employee standing in the store, the opportunity to showcase the product, respond to the question, but also to add value ultimately to the brand and to the, the client relationship by paying that forward. I'd much rather have the opportunity to speak with a brand representative and that could be globally. You can broker those calls 24-7 so that they're always reaching someone that has such an incredible passion for the brand and they just want to serve the client on the other end. All the while doing a really you know, great justice for the P&L because guess what? You're paying for those employees to be in stores. And so I think that's a huge path forward, the clienteling aspect. I also think that omni-channel is still insanely relevant um, because there's been this catastrophic shift to e-com sales while stores have been closed. And so again, if you didn't have some kind of omni-channel response, you were, you were in trouble because you had brick and mortar opportunity to get goods and services to that customer, he or she, whenever, wherever, and however you could get it to them, uh, you were walking away from it. So I think that you know, shoring up that omni-channel opportunity and having um, really the ability to talk directly to your client versus just a call center are, are two huge pieces moving forward. Huge, huge. And it makes so much sense. Oh my gosh. Right? I mean, who, who, better, <laughs> who better to say like, oh yes, those shoes are X and oh, they go with this. Did you see that? Like, no one is better at storytelling than the brand ambassadors. Mm -hmm. just, there's, there's no one better because they live the product, they breathe the brand, but they know this is the blank that goes with the blank, right? 
and they have a customer on the other end that already is compelled to ask questions and learn more and and develop a relationship. They've they've clicked the button. Yes, I want to talk with someone, um, or yes, I want to visit. But I do think when you when you talk about brick and mortar, you know, there's not a store in every city everywhere, and so how close that store is to the client on the other end of the phone can be an obstacle to retailers. And so by connecting them with the opportunity to talk with a live brand ambassador is a differentiating point for them. And virtually bring everybody who calls into your store. Yes, absolutely. You know, and I think there are brands right now that have done a really great job, even in response to the pandemic, of putting that customer in the hands of the client while all the time being at home. And so, you know, there are brands that are seeing comps that they've never seen before. Um, Love Sack comes to mind for me because they're brokering calls from a client to a customer, and then they're providing this amazing service on the other end, and customers are investing in products for their home. And so they've done a great job of not even opening a single brick and mortar store, not staffing it at all, but putting the power of connectivity but in reach, the, the brand ambassador on the phone with the customer and the ability to have that client book mobily, the ability to understand what that client already has, what they're looking for, what services they're more keen to respond to. You know, those are, those are big points to move forward. So what does the future of clienteling look like when we are sort of, and I'm sort of tipping my hand to where I think the answer would be, where yeah. we're virtually bringing someone into our store and they're still, you know, shopping and talking to us from the comfort of their couch? Yeah, I think that, you know, the virtual realm is is going to be exceptional in how these brands showcase um, and maybe it is. Maybe it is just a singular showroom. Um, I think that's an opportunity for brands to invite that individual into a perfect setting where a brand can showcase the depth and breadth of their assortment and their categories. I think that that is going to play a meaningful role moving forward. I don't think that you know having say a thousand stores across the United States or North America or 50 stores in London are going to serve you. Because I do think, I, I was keen to say probably 90 days ago that all of this uh, response was just, you know, such an impact to the commercial real estate market and that pop-ups could really have an opportunity to shine. But how do they get the message out that they're there without right. investing in tremendous marketing? And how do they have an experience that's worthy for the client to go when they can't touch anything and they can't try on anything and they can't buy anything in that moment? Um, or maybe they won't have their size. And so I think that's all kind of out. I think that you know a pop-up virtual element or a realm, a brand realm, is really a pathway forward um, for stores to, you know, decrease the brick and mortar footprint, but showcase the entire brand virtually, you know, I, I think that that is a real path. Really super interesting. And, you know, the days of, of a thousand locations across the yeah. United States, do you think those days are behind us permanently? You know, I think they might be for some. I think that, you know, you still see, you know, a, a need really from a, a client response for, you know, the targets of the world. And, um, you know, they are serving a great client's need in the moment. Um, but I do think that you have to drive responsible profit. 
and there's little to no room for a loss leader investing in you know a five-story flagship that no one can get to right um, because they can't get there on a, on a subway or they can't get there in a car or they they're only gonna let four people in at a time those days are gone and no one wants to carry that on their balance sheet right now brands are going to reduce where they're not profitable and that may mean uh, the, the difficult decision to close stores, but it is in the, the best interest of those brands to keep themselves, you know, afloat for as long as they possibly can to ensure that they're relevant and meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of the human beings that staff those stores. Yeah. And I'm also, you know, recalling our conversation a few minutes ago where you were talking about really well-informed brand ambassadors who um, who are taking calls directly from engage customers. So it's almost as if those positions aren't going away, but they might be shifting in a really interesting way. Oh, sure. And I do think that 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 is an opportunity to really provide service. And maybe that is more brand affinity concierge service, lifestyle concierge um, that's connected to a brand. Because you know, as brands build what they perceive as their lifestyle assortment, you know, they do have um, the opportunity to tell the story to the customer about where to go, where to eat, what to see, um, what to visit. And I think that, you know, when you have brand ambassadors that represent the lifestyle of the brand, um, they do become a bit of a, a bit of a muse, so to yes. speak. You know, yes. external clients are looking for, they want advice, they want guardrails, they want to be cool. And so if you're shopping in a brand, chances are you really, you really align toward that brand's view on, you know, where would you go? What would you see? What have you done if you've been to Chicago? And when you're talking, you know, it, we talked about Hero just a moment ago, brokering calls to brand ambassadors, you know, clients will still travel. And I think that, you know, yes, travel as a sector will come back. And people are still going places, but they need to make sure that when they go somewhere, the time is meaningful and well spent. Mm-hmm. And so the advice of a trusted brand muse holds significant weight. You know, oh, I know so-and-so, and she told me that when she was here, she went here to eat, or this right. is the best place to get, you know, locally relevant, support small businesses. Clients love that. I love supporting small business. I love supporting what's in my town, where to eat, where to, you know, where to spend a few moments when I have them. And I'm making those choices based on recommendations from friends and coworkers um, because they're trusted people. It's almost as if the brand persona gets the opportunity to become like, you know, the cool older brother or the cool older sister. And it's like, oh, because I aspire to be like that cooler older sibling, I'm probably going to take that advice. Yes, because I think that you're you're spot on. I think that the relationship that a brand, uh, you know, whether you want to call it ambassador or a muse or an employee, that relationship is based in trust. And there's a tremendous amount of two-way respect and respect and dialogue, but also just the, you know, the understanding that, hey, you're like me really at the end of the day is the defining start to that relationship. And so they do want, you know, they do have conversations and employees reach out and say, happy birthday. And, oh my gosh, I heard you were thinking about going here. Could I recommend this for you? And I think that's really, you know, a 360 view of the relationship and being able to carry it forward uh, and provide momentum 
just again harkens back to the brand affinity, the connectivity, the belief in the brand that I made a well, you know, I, I made a tremendous, you know, powerful decision that, that I feel proud of and I'm going to continue to pay that forward. You know, it sounds, sounds like it's a really optimistic time for brands that are truly authentic Yes. to to yes. their audience, to their product, and who they are as a citizen of the community. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I do think what will have room moving forward, uh, we'll continue to see collaborations because, again, that just, you know, that serves up the foundation of the brand. Oh, here's another artist. Here's another, right. maybe, maybe right. it is a celebrity. Maybe yep. it's not. Maybe it's just a cool person in the community that writes a really great blog. Or maybe it's the mom next door that, you know, has something really great to say. I think there will be, you know, these these small business slash, you know, great collaborations with brands. And um, those, those are opportunities for the brand to, you know, not invest a tremendous amount of depth in the category, but showcase it, bring that product in, bring it out. It's a, it's a bit exclusive in that not everyone would have access to it because it's limited supply. But it's a cool part of that brand. And, and people remember that. Oh, my gosh, this is when, you know, they did that collaboration with so-and-so. And I think that collaboration will still continue to have that. But it props up the defining part of the brand's strategy. And so I think that'll be key. And I think that, you know, with clienteling, it's such a data-intensive practice. So it's like when to reach out to your client and why are you reaching out and what is appropriate to say are big, obvious talking points. But, but having a brand really define those moments are going to be incredibly important, especially in this environment. You know, brands implementing software to shore up clienteling. Because I think, you know, you and I talked a bit about, you know, events in a pop-up space. It, uh, they're long gone, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, right? You can't invite clients to the store to make a flower arrangement. Right. You just can't do that. You can't have a big shopping party where you offer a discount or just, a, you know, hey, we're going to close the flagship for your child's birthday party. That's not going to happen right now. So I think making sure that you have software that supports your message um, for clienteling and, and I think education, investing in the education of your internal customer to provide service to the external customer is critical now more than ever. Wow. And you know, as dire as or disruptive is probably the better word, as these days are for retail, the core of what you're talking about, Anne-Marie, is pretty positive and pretty exciting, you know, speaks to a pretty exciting future. It is. I, I think, you know, yes, you could say a pandemic um, is an obstacle, but I do think it's an opportunity to certainly in continue to invest. But what are you investing in? Investing in your employees, investing in education, investing in technology that really matters to and for the brand, investing in the relationship with the client. I think that this is an exciting time. It gives people the opportunity to really shore up what are the house codes, not just about product, but about experience. And, you know, if someone could have said to me six months ago, during the next hour, you get, to, you get to spend an entire hour with a client. What is it that you want to do? That is an, an incredible opportunity versus in the next hour, you have to service 60 people. 
Sure. And so, you know, I think the message a year ago was, and, and the, for the last 10 years has been, how do you increase dwell time? How do you continue to do that? Keep people in the store, keep them online, keep them talking to your brand, uh, understanding your brand. And now it's shifted. It's shifted because of the pandemic, but that is opportunity. Now the model is a bit of throughput. It's a bit of how many people can we serve, but it really should be viewed as we have the opportunity to spend time with more than we've ever had the opportunity of time with an individual client. And that is meaningful because that could be a client for life. All that makes total sense. And I'm sort of hearing as an undercurrent, a lot of fundamentals, Yeah, you know, that as things are so different, the fundamentals bubble to the surface, like look after your clients, like brand affinity and and authenticity. So I'd like to I'd like to pivot our conversation a little bit and talk about you because you've you like you've got retail in your DNA. It's <laughs> it's it's sort of been a lifelong endeavor for you and you've been super, super successful in it. So I'd I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and maybe some of the some of the early lessons that you might, as a, as a leader in the retail industry, want to draw on in these times of so much change and upheaval. Sure. Um, thank you. Thanks for the intro. Yeah. I think, you know, I think um, I have. I've grown up in a family of retailers. My dad worked for a brand for 42 years. Um, my mom has run brands. My brother runs wholesale for brands. Um, we are a family that, <laughs> I mean, really, it's, I can it's, just imagine uh, your family reunions. It's right. Like, like we love black Friday. <laughs> uh, it's like we all get it. Um, but I think at the, at the core, something that was really instilled upon me very early on was being of service. And I think that that is not something, it's certainly something you can say and you can teach but it's certainly something that has to be a bit inherent in your DNA. You either want to serve people or you don't. It, you know, it's, it's like seeing the opportunity to serve as time well spent and being thoughtful and kind and providing service. Those are hallmarks of great brands, but they're also hallmarks of great people. And I think that, you know, maybe I'm certainly not one of the great people, but I think that at the core of what I do and where I've spent my time in the last 32 years, it's always a direct response to being of service. You know, I've certainly spent um, the bulk of my time in founder, you know, founder-led brands or, or certainly brands that that lean really far forward into the founder space. But those are brands that just have passion and stories and they're brands that want to get it right and they want to continue to scale and grow. But really kind of that central piece is operations and service. And, you know, I've spent years at Aeropostale and teen retail during their growth and expansion. And I've spent time during the growth and expansion at Kate into, um, you know, multiple brands for them. And I think over all that time, what matters most to me outside of just being of service is the opportunity to really assemble a team of enviable bright minds. And that is, you know, to me, I've always looked at the opportunity to be a leader as not one of title and privilege, but one of responsibility. And I think that those are the same individuals that I would gladly work with and for again and again. And I think when you think about like, who would you take along that journey with you to next? I continually go back to some of the best that I've ever worked with because it's, it's incredibly meaningful to me 
to share the table and the space with people who just, you know, want to get great things done and want to do things quickly and want to serve the brand and their absent title. They're not defined by a job description. They're not individuals who respond with, oh gosh, that's not something I do. They just find a way. I love being surrounded by scrappy people. And I think that that's you know, something I've learned um, in brands that have scaled or started really small. You know, I started with Arrow when with 300 stores. I left when there were 1,300 and three brands there. And certainly the same with Kate. Small when I started, um, you know, less than 300 million. And when I left, it was 2.14 billion. So those are great achievements, but they couldn't have been met without great people behind them. And I've certainly been extremely grateful for the opportunity to work with talented people that I really trust and I get out of their way. And I really think about a lot of the cross-functional work with IT partners um, that I've had over the years because they have really enabled the creative opportunity of a brand to execute um, what I kind of dream up in my mind. Because I always open a sentence with my friends in IT as, you know, in my mind, it works like this. Right. Okay. <laughs> now, now you, you are experts, so I'm going to leave you to it. And then people would call me and go, what do you want to do about this? And I'd say, well, you're the expert. What would you do? I think that, you know, as you move forward in your career, trusting people in their area of opportunity and expertise is one of the best things you can do because you don't have to be an expert, nor should you in all things outside of thoughtfulness and kindness and respect toward um, the individuals you're working with. They're the expert. They should be informing you of, I hear what you're saying, you know, would you consider it this way? Or can I design it to do this? Or what is the user experience? And so I really love, you know, spending time with people and making sure that I continue to serve them because I just think not only is it the right thing to do, but that's just part of, that's part of who I am. Um, and I like to hire people that I want to work for, not the other way around. Mm -hmm, I also mm -hmm. want to hire people who are smarter and better than I am because that makes us all better as a group. And I'm not so confined by, you know, not sharing or investing or providing information. I think that you have to do that so that you make room for more information and you allow people the runway and um, to really execute on what the brand wants to do or what we need to achieve for the client. So I've really been privileged to spend, you know, a, a lot of amazing time with some great brands and even greater people, certainly mentors in the space that um, I'm connected to today and my children have spent time with, and it's really um, an amazing relationship that might, I might not have otherwise had an opportunity to do. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, there's a couple of things that I'd like to unpack from, from that. One is, as you've described it, it's you know, your track record of, of great success is no surprise because you know, working for a leader that simply empowers the greatness of the people who are just, you know, want to come in and do the best job possible. It's hard to go yeah. wrong in that equation. And also thinking about our initial question and the whole sort of theme behind today's conversation is what is a brand to do, uh, particularly a retail brand, given all of this upheaval. But if you've got the team in place that you've just described, a little yeah. bit of position agnostic. It's not my title. It's yeah. my it's my passion and my commitment to the end result of a great customer experience. Then really whatever happens, you're still going to roll with it. Absolutely. I think um, if I had to boil everything that I do, that I am, and that I work for and serve, uh, it's really that that core message of 
be of service, whatever it is you're doing. There's this insane documentary uh, that I really love. It's a little bit uh, telling about uh, the space I like to invest some time in. But I think, you know, there's this great documentary, um, The Defiant Ones. And it's Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. And they talk about the evolution of being of service from Jimmy Iovine's side and how, you know, it was, you know, not sneakers, it was speakers um, and the mm -hmm. invention of beats behind that. But what cuts through all of the, uh, the episodes in that documentary is an individual's commitment and passion to being of service. And that is exactly what every single brand needs to figure out right now is how are they being of service? Are they doing it through the goods that they're selling? Are they doing it through the knowledge that they're providing? Are they doing it for you know, the meaningful action behind what it is that they're telling people that they're doing? But social responsible um, brands are, are going to win in all of this because it's the brands that have nothing behind it or the brands that are getting, you know, getting called out on, you said this, but you did this over here. Mm -hmm. um, we're all under the microscope. And the opportunity to work with a brand that really is of service and is thoughtful in their messaging and is kind, that's where you want to spend your time because you want to get stuff done in a place that resonates with clients. End sure. of story. That's, what, that's all, all we want to do in retail. Sounds good. Well, I can't think of a better spot to leave it than there, than that great piece of advice. And, uh, and Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining our podcast and our conversation and talking about retail in the in the post-COVID era. So interesting. Thanks so much, Pat. Thank you so much. I have a great conversation. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks again. Bye. Thanks, Pat. Okay, don't go away. I won't. I, won't. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was supposed to say goodbye again. No, no, that was great. That was so good. Thanks, thanks again for joining us. Of course. And that was my conversation with authority in retail and retail branding, Anne-Marie Clendenin. So what are your key takeaways from today? There's a couple of things that stood out for me. Number one was the importance of brand reputation. That's always been important, but now more than ever, it's the brand's reputation and their ability to become part of the fabric of our lives that will determine our willingness to support them, our willingness to forget them, or our willingness to cancel them. In an earlier episode of this podcast, I spoke with the Reputation Institute's Stephen Hahn Griffiths about the value of brand reputation. I'll leave a link to that episode in the show notes. And related, did you notice how many times Anne-Marie referenced kindness? I kind of love that. Talking about brand reputation and CEO reputation, especially these days, wouldn't you want to shop at a brand that included a mandate of kindness within its corporate culture? I know I would. Oh, and a word about leadership. I also noticed how Anne-Marie describes her ideal teams. And I thought that was really cool. Get people you trust and then do what it takes so they can do the work they love, so they can be in their flow. Sounds like the best definition of team building I can think of. And also what a great word scrappy is. I suggest if you're a retail professional who's doing the interview rounds and that word isn't on your resume, you might want to reconsider that choice. And speaking of leadership, I really want to send a particular shout out and thank you to one of the best leaders I've had the pleasure to work for who made this interview possible. Many years ago, I worked for Jane Gonzalez at Tommy Hilfiger. And to this day, I continue to speak about what a strong, supportive, unflinching leader she is. Jane continues her career in retail and was kind enough to facilitate an introduction between Anne-Marie and me. 
So Jane, what a great opportunity this is to thank you for making this episode possible and also for being a truly great leader whose approach and wisdom, honestly, kid you not, I still reference even today. And a huge thank you to Anne-Marie Clendon for your time, your insights, and your outlook. These are tumultuous times in retail for sure, but that is not to say they are without opportunity. Thank you for sharing how brands can move forward and even thrive. And finally, a huge thank you to everyone listening to this podcast, wherever you are in the world. If you're in retail, don't despair. Look for opportunities to deepen your relationship with your clients and continue to deliver outstanding experiences regardless of the channel. Until next time, I'm Pat Perdue. Thanks for listening. 